Hey everybody, thank you again for joining me today for another episode of the NHS 100k podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Uh, 10,000 downloads last week on Podbean, I got notified, so that's pretty impressive, 27 countries, um, so that's not bad for the spare room in my house, so there we go. So we're doing some good stuff. I've got a good good guest with me today, I've got Headley Reese. Now, um, he's probably going to have the longest intro because I need to uh, just to let everybody know this gentleman's history. Uh, so at the, at the moment, he's a managing consultant at um, uh, Pharma Flow Limited, which is a UK-based company that specialises in supply chain management uh, um, within life science. And um, going early in the past, he's been involved in early stage clinical trial supply chains, uh, right up to complex um, multi-product supply networks, and that's worldwide. And he's worked for um, Bayer UK, British Biotech, Johnson & Johnson, and OSI Pharma, and got over 40 years experience in the pharma industry. And he's wrote a book, because if we can't top that uh, amazing um, introduction there, called uh, Taming the Big Pharma Monster. So welcome to the show, Headley. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks, Matt. It's really good to, to, to speak to you. You seem to be making a real big impact. So... 27 countries that's not that's not bad indeed <clears throat> it's not it's um, not i mean granted there's only a couple in each but i'll take it it's this oh, absolutely really yeah 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 yeah, so, yeah. so i bumped yeah, into so you on twitter i think because uh i've been trying to just have a scowl through twitter and look for some people that are making noise and i i, I found i found yourself and looked back at some of the stuff you've been um been seeing. so i do appreciate you responding to me when i reached out but uh, I know we were talking briefly just off off um, off air before we hit record about some stuff. So there's lots to cover today. Um, so I don't know how far you want to go back in in this, but I'll, I'll kind of kick it to you, and then we could just see where we go with things. But just uh, yeah. um, say hello to everybody, and then just tell everybody um, why we're kind of talking today. What message you want to get out, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll start at the point. I'll, I'll go back a bit after that. Um, I asked you the question as a paramedic, you know, when, when, when you went to administer, you know, ketamine or whatever to a patient in pain, did you ever have to finish it off yourself? You know, mm -hmm. did you have to thaw the basic solution that was going in there? Did you have to, you know, was it at minus 70 degrees C? Did you have to add saline diluent to it? Were the six doses in the vial? All those sorts of things. No, you never have. And before COVID, that's never happened. Uh, it's illegal for the pharmacy or a hospital or, or community pharmacy to actually change the state of any medicinal product. It always has been for the last 40 years. If it, That's because manufacture of a drug is incredibly sens sensitive. Um, particularly these vaccines, I call them vaccines, injection, I should call them really. Yeah. Um, because these are what are known as biologics. So they're made from living things, from animal cells. So you start off with animal cells and uh, then they are genetically modified to get um, either for the mRNA uh, vaccines, the cells are genetically modified so that they, uh, they create the spike protein in the body that then theoretically the body raises a response to that. Uh, the, the other, the adenovirus vaccine that uh, AstraZeneca supplied uh, is, is a bit different. Um, the, the, they use a virus then to uh, deliver the mod modified cell into the body. But either way, they're gene therapies. And 
these gene therapies are part of a bigger class called advanced therapies. So advanced therapies are a, a cell, gene, and tissue-engineered products. So they're called advanced because, you know, they're living, so it's very easy to, you know, if you don't keep them at the right temperature or you don't manufacture them properly, they, they, you know, it's very easy to kill, kill them off. And there's been a lot of work over those in the 10 to 12 years or more than that, as I say about that. But just go, to go back to um, the frozen, frozen vaccine. So in manufacture, when you uh, thaw something, you have to do studies to prove that the, what you started off with at minus 70 degrees C is the same thing that when it's been thawed down to plus 2 to 8 degrees C refrigerated. And then when you've done the study, you say, okay, these are the conditions under which it must be thawed. You study it to, to know. So it's X length of time, you do this. And then there's a standard operating procedure as part of a bigger quality system. And the people doing the work then in manufacture, they have to sign that they've read the standard operating procedure, they understand it, they've had sufficient training, and then the, everything has to be recorded. Now, none of that happened with the frozen vaccines. And basically, that was illegal. In, in, by regulations that I've known for the last 40 years, that is illegal because you've taken a huge risk that, particularly if there's no quality control between, you know, in the vaccination centers, we had people volunteering in car parks. And they, they, would, um, they would be doing all this work and there was no quality control. At the very least, they should have been throwing out the stuff that wasn't meeting standards, but they didn't even have the test to do that. So, that, and all through the supply chain, there was no adherence to the standards of good manufacturing practice and good distribution practice. Otherwise, these drugs could not have come to market in six or nine months. You know, we, we know there's a U.S. Government Accountability Office report written in 2006 that says the preclinical testing of, of drugs takes around three years. Mm -hmm. And preclinical testing involves toxicology, what they call drug metabolism and pharmacokinetics. So they have to look at what the drug does to the body and also what the body does to the drug, because sometimes the body can break a drug down and make that toxic. So none of that work was carried out. And when you're doing that preclinical work, you also have to test what the supply chain have made. It, it doesn't matter what the scientists have done in the laboratory. You have to make, say, 10 kilos of the active ingredient, physically make it, and then ship that off to a company that does the testing. They test it. And when it comes back, if it's successful, then you could administer the drug into humans. But the key is if you scale up, if you then produce 50 kilos instead of the 15, you have to do the safety testing again, because when you increase the scale of, of manufacture, the molecular structure of the product that you're making can change. And it could become toxic or it could become totally inert. Uh, so there are rules in place that says every time that you scale up, you have to do this Test, none of that testing was done. So the fact that there are rules to stop you doing that 
because it could be toxic means a lot of these batches could well have been toxic due to poor manufacturing. And, and we know that now from leaked documents, numbers of sources, we know that there, the, 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 there were um, corners cut and very um, bad things done through the whole of the manufacture. And the same for the development of, 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 of the drugs. Um, and how we know there was something different as well with these uh, vaccines being delivered or injections being delivered is that normally hospitals and co community farmers get their products, get their pharmaceuticals from companies like um, Alliance Health, AAH. You know, you see the vans driving up at the, in the hospital loading bay or at the pharmacy. They couldn't be used because they can only use uh, they can only handle plus two to eight refrigerated products or controlled room temperature, which is plus 15 to plus 25. They have dual use vehicles, so it'll keep them either refrigerated or at room temperature. Well, of course, minus 70 degrees C, they weren't able to, to, to be part of this, but they are the ones who are licensed to do the distribution. They have to have special licenses. They have to be inspected by the MHRA and Unless they pass pass the inspection, they aren't allowed to di distribute these products. But hey ho, who was distributing the products then? People who were untrained, you know. And at minus seventy, uh, you know, they they need dry ice. They need to pack the the, the packet the packaging containers with dry ice to try and keep them at the right temperature. So the potential for things to go wrong are absolutely enormous. Mm. And and this is just. Uh, I won't rattle on. Have you got any questions at this point? Or? Well, yeah, I've got. I've got one basically. So, it, it, no one's really sort of said anything about. We all, everybody knew that um, the, the the jab needed to be stored at um, a quite a, a low temperature, but then no one, like you say, no one knew what what happened from that point. You know, because obviously there were, like you saying, there were vials that people were splitting the doses from the same vial. They were being left on the side. Um, so there was no testing to see. So how were they expecting people to deliver the jabs and keep it that low anyway, if that makes sense? Because you can't just inject something that cold straight into a into a patient anyway. Um, so I'm wondering how they, even if, they must have known, like I say. <laughs> they must yeah. have known. Oh, well, they did know. They did know, absolutely. I, I mean... Uh... I won't go into the Gates Foundation. Well, I will go into the Gates Foundation. Go in, go in, go in, go in, Headley, go in. Um, because I, I, I mean, I um, left to become an independent consultant in the industry in 2005, and that was just after Bill Gates had left uh, Microsoft. Well, he was still in Microsoft, but he started his uh, his foundation. And someone I knew well went to work for him on the malaria vaccine. You know, it's experience right. in the industry, and so he was in. You know, he was in Africa there, he was in in malaria, and <laughs> bizarrely at the time, I thought, oh, hallelujah, we've got a philanthropist who's going to, you know, put some proper money into it and uh, and and do things properly. Um, and then I, I didn't think any more about it. He was, we all know now, he was busily doing lots of stuff uh, with Fauci, etc. But. In 2013, I had a phone call from someone working with the Office for Life Sciences in the UK. Um, uh, and he said, look, <clears throat> there's 
a government funding call called the, called the Advanced Manufacturing Supply Chain Initiative, which has got is a 120 million pound pot. The Office for Life Sciences wants a life science company to get a bit of that. So there have been two rounds and no, science, no company has been successful. And the feedback they've had is because the bid is framed as if they're scientists and it's very sort of scientific and very reductionist in the way it was put together. So because I had this, you know, I'd written the book uh, and I, I also wrote supply chain management in the drug industry for Wiley in 2011 and that's a 450 page textbook. So, you know, I, I, I know these things inside out. Mm. And um, so they asked me to put a bid together with, um, or to go along to a, a, a launch of the, the, the round three in London at the QE2 center. And Michael Fallon was doing the, uh, the, the, the keynote address. And I, I was on, we were all on tables and to cut a long tail short, I happened to be on the same table as the chairman of Oxford Biomedica, which is a gene therapy contract manufacturer based in Oxford, in Cowley and Oxford. In fact, I'd worked twice before at that site for different companies. So I knew it pretty well. <clears throat> and they were working with Novartis on a gene therapy drug, um, which is subsequently launched called Kimria. Uh, but I went along there and uh, I, I recruited Cranford University to do the ac academic modeling and the Heart of England NHS Trust to, to, to bring the NHS portion into it. And I framed the bid as if it was like any advanced manufacturing where, where you, you engage with your, with your end users first before you develop anything. Mm. You you know, you do a voice of the customer or voice of the end user. So you ask them, um, by end users, I mean healthcare professionals and patients, both of which are sort of, you know, have got a, a big stake in, in the whole thing. So, and then you engage with the hospital, people in the hospital, particularly with physicians. And in fact, on this, we engaged in Birmingham, we engaged with a former um, I surgeon at Moorfield Hospital, and he really gave us a real insight of how the technology was moving with corneal grafting. And in fact, the company hadn't understood that it had moved on the step, and they they were actually developing something that that what there wasn't the need for anymore. So you know, this engagement with end users is absolutely crucial. Mm. Uh, but anyway, again, I won't go on too much into that. But the bid was successful. Um, it raised 7.1 million pounds. And um, the government then were delighted with that, the Office for Life Sciences and the U UK government. And, um, uh, <laughs> I, but strangely, I was invited to one more meeting after that, which was called the Ministerial Innovation, uh, oh God, Strategy Group for biopharmaceuticals, Something that, this was the great and the good from Office of Life Sciences, from Big Pharma, from NHS, <coughs> from all sorts. And um, they were talking about the future of gene therapies. And I thought to myself, well, this is very early stage. You know, I wouldn't be pushing on with this until we've sorted out the issues of manufacturing, distribution, the biologics, they're very sensitive. Um, but anyway, uh, just after that, I was dropped from the project and <clears throat> the person I'd been working with at Oxford Biomedica was, was fired. And 
after that, I became a sort of passive observer. <clears throat> and it was only until COVID, when COVID started and they'd come out with these gene therapy vaccines, I suddenly started dig into what had been going on. And uh, I then looked at some of the UK government visions for the future, which are very much based on <clears throat> gene therapies, advanced therapies, being number one in the world. And there have been about three or four versions of this vision. And now they're talking about horizon scanning. And the latest is they've set up um, centers to actually go ahead with <coughs> gene therapies in the UK, in UK hospitals. And the MHRA, the regulator, which is enabling all this, is allowing it, it, they're allowing hospital pharmacies and people in hospitals to actually do what they did with the, 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 the frozen jabs, which is do all the manipulation, which effectively manufacture in the hospital. They call it point of care manufacture. Mm. It's all over the government website, then, <coughs> UK Gov. And it, as I say, and I've spoken to the head of innovation, uh, Ian Rees, who is, um, I think he may have just retired now. He's been involved in all of this. And I said, well, <coughs> who's going to regulate the hospitals? <coughs> and he said he thought it was going to be the uh, Care Quality Commission, but he wasn't sure. Um, th so there's these three alliances set up. <coughs> one in Manchester called IMATCH, <coughs> one in the Midlands and Wales, and one called the Northern Alliance. So these are now allowed by the regulations to actually manipulate gene therapies and administer them to patients. That change took place January the 1st, 2022. And it's an accident waiting to happen. It is an ab absolute accident waiting to happen. <coughs> So anyway, I'll go back to Gates now, Gates Foundation. So, it Can I just stop you there for a second? Sorry. So allowing uh, they allow the pharmacies and the hospital to, um, to, to so what was it? Was that just solely for them to be able to manage the, the COVID jab in the hospitals? Or no, it's, it's, any, it's any gene therapy. It's any advanced therapy. Whether they call them advanced therapy medicinal products. Right. Okay. So right. and, and there's, no, there's no quality system being identified that they will be using, so they'll be working blind. Absolutely. Right. So right. who knows right. what the patients will get put inside them. So well, <clears> getting yeah, back I mean, to the role of the Bernard Gates Foundation, uh, in 2011, this was just before I worked with Dr. Biomagica in 2013, uh, Gates hired a guy called Ian, um, Trevor Mundell, who was the head of development for Novartis. Novartis is one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. They're also the company that Officer Biomedica was working with in 2013. And they've got a gene therapy on the market called Kimria. <clears throat> the class of gene therapy is, is for blood cancers, what they call CAR-T therapies. And that is the leading that's the great next great white hope for the whole industry that they can make progress in these CAR-T therapies. The Novartis one launched, it launched, it was $475,000 for one treatment. 
and the hospital had had to pay a similar amount on top of that so you can see these therapies aren't viable they're not viable because the population is so small they have to you know the patient number the patient pool is so small they have to charge these horrendous uh, amounts and there's been one gene therapy glivera that was launched at a million dollars i didn't sell anything and unsurprisingly and they're all of a similar you know uh, between 500,000 and, uh, and and a million dollars and you know they are they are just hoping that patients and healthcare system are so desperate that they'll pay these huge these huge amounts um but but they, they they're not happening so mandel joined bill gates in 2000 in the foundation and he spent since there he's been building the whole vaccine story up um going all over the world speaking at john hopkins hospital and all these sorts of things and then in 2016, well, I said <clears throat> the chief executive of the MHRA up until 2019 was a guy named Ian Hudson. Yeah. He then moved to work for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So he, Ian Hudson is effectively running the MHRA on behalf of the Bill Gates Foundation. Okay. Yeah. And Trevor Mundell is the president of health. So. <clears throat> I attended a, a good distribution practice symposium uh, that the MHRA were, were, were holding last month. A UK column kindly asked me to go along and listen in, and I've written an article on it, which will be out fairly soon. Um, it was horrendous, the things they're doing. Uh, artificial intelligence, they've been using uh, Microsoft HoloLens for the virtual inspection of virtual inspections about as useful as a chocolate teapot you know that mm. would you buy a house if someone said look i put a camera on my head i walk around the house and you see if you like it and then no you won't go in the house you may look at what you want to look at so all these inspections and, and all the inspections were just virtual at the when these vaccines were being launched so um, then then there's a plan to use uh, microsoft Azure, uh, AI and machine learning. They are, they are, they're setting up databases for surveillance. Um, and the, the most shocking things of, thing of all was that they've been allowing companies to what they call ship under quarantine, which means when they made the product, they can ship it on to the next stage before testing has been finished. So they're actually shipping stuff that's untested to the next company and the principle behind that is that when the next company gets it they wait until the, the the shipping company have finished testing then the shipping company tell that company it's passed now so you can release it but the chances of that working you know the two separate companies the chances of that working are zilch so it's it, this is for MHRA to prove me wrong rather than you know, me prove me wrong. Because I'm saying this is what I think. Mm. If they can prove me wrong, fine. So what I'm saying is that all the vaccines globally were shipped without being tested because all the countries, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is global. GSK is a global company. Pfizer is. So there's no demarcation. What they do in one country, they do in all the other countries. So they were all doing the same things. 
Um, so we've got more um, ignoring of regulations. Um, and the concerning thing is that we are trying to stop the jobs, the mRNA jobs, but they're holding conferences about the next tranche of MRA jobs for all sorts of different things. For cancer, now they are advertising one for cancer. You know, there's two, three hundred different types of cancer. How can you say I've got the vaccine for cancer? Well, what cancer are you talking about then? Or oh, any cancer? All right, okay. Yeah, well, come back to me when you've done that. You know, they only into one cancer, and that's a blood cancer. It's not a solid tumor. Solid tumor cancers are very much different to the CAR T blood cancer th therapies, which, you know, and even they, there's no evidence, evidence to say they're working. And the side effects are exactly the same as the mRNA vaccine side effects neurological toxicities, mm. and cytokine uh, storm, cytokine release syndrome. So, mm. and that is on the market. And it's got warnings on the packaging and patients have to sign up for a special program to make sure that they're kept safe. But you could not make this up. No, I'm just sitting there <laughs> thinking like how, you know, because some people say, it's, you know, it's, it's all been down to uh, global incompetence. A particular member of my family, you know, says that quite often. It's just down to global incompetence. And, and you're thinking like... But there's supposed to be stuff in place to stop that stuff from happening, right? But then, you know, yeah. if who, who if, if the pharmaceutical companies aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, who watches the pharma companies, if you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> and the who, of course, um, the person, <laughs> what, what Ian Hudson did in 2016, remember Ian Hudson was the CEO of the MHRA. He did a bit of moonlighting in 2016, and he set up a a duplicate global regulatory body called the International Coalition of Medicines Regulatory Affairs. And that was pushed by the WHO in 2012. Uh, the current chair of that body is also the chair, is also the chief executive of the European Medicines Agency, Emma Cook. She's the right. chief executive of what's supposed to be the formal regulator for Europe. She's also on a duplicate body that has no legitimacy in terms of regulation, but all the country regulators over the world are members of it, and they have meetings, and they've set up these duplicate bodies. So there you have the WHO, you have Bill Gates, um, you've got this duplicate regulatory body, the ICMRA, and uh, you've got now you've got MHRA, which is basically run by Bill Gates and Ian Hudson and Trevor Mandel. Uh, so that's where we are. And I, this, you know, I've done so many of these interviews. I said to you earlier, Matt, I can't say anything different. <laughs> you know, this is true. So if someone said, why do you keep saying the same thing all the time? Well, I'd say, well, it's the only thing I can say because it's mm. the only thing I know that's, that, that's true. UK, UK column doing fantastic work. Um, yeah. They yeah, are they really, really top-notch group of journalists and broadcasters. I'm yeah. also working with Dr. Mike Eden and the Truth for Health Foundation in uh, in Arizona. And I'm also working with a team in, in Mississippi where I've uh, provided them with um, a federal declaration of all the things that should have been done that weren't being done, and that's going in 
a call for the grand jury um, in, in Mississippi. Florida involved in that as well. And we've got people like Rand Paul in the US, Senator Rand Paul, mm -hmm. who is knocking chunks out of Tony Fauci. Yeah, and still he seems to, to be standing. He's starting to sort of, you know, sort of shake, shake from side to side now. But um, that in itself is a sketch because, he, you know, Fauci's bound to rights all the time. And he keeps shouting back and saying, no, no, you're wrong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so I'm, I, I'm doing, I'm trying to share as much as I can. What I am finding is that different groups, all best intentioned, are sort of going at it at different angles. And there's not enough cohesion and sharing the last way it's good to talk to, to, to you particularly as a paramedic and the people in the NHS, they would benefit from understanding, I keep saying this, you know, medicines are manufactured, developed and manufactured the same way as a car, an aeroplane, anything else. Typically, by the time you start with a prototype, it's about 10 years. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand, I've got a, I've got a sub stack called Inside Pharma. I've been writing, been writing that for 15 months now, and everything I'm saying here is on, is on that Robert Kennedy Jr. is a subscriber. Um, he took out nine subscriptions, so that's my claim to fame. <laughs> um, by, by Rainer Fulmish and the Corona Inquiry. Um, mm. But yeah. if you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, people think, what what, what do you know about medicines? So, but... Um, I mean, yeah, that's a difficult stigma to, to to try and break down. I've been trying to say to people, because paramedics, I feel, have always been the, uh, they've had one step in and one step out. They've always had one foot in the, the general public because it's their job to, uh, you see patients at their most worst moments, you know? So you, you can't have the bedside manner of a doctor. You've got to have a different bedside manner. You've, you've got to be one of the people, essentially, but still be professional, know what you're doing and be calm. And then when you go into hospital to hand over, you then need to turn into the person that the doctor wants you to be to do your handover to the to the ED team waiting for you to hand over to to them in recess or whatever. So we've always been, and I think that's why you love us or hate us as paramedics because some of us seem, you know, not as professional as you may think. But then that's you kind of have to be to be part of the job. Um, so it's been interesting seeing what's been going on um, and and speaking to people it's been coming up to a year now in June, my podcast, and it was never something I intended to do, <clears throat> but I was getting so frustrated with people not speaking out. Um, I thought I better do it myself. And then when they threatened with, with dismissal with the mandates, you know, so it was, I was kind of thrust into it um, through not wanting to shut my mouth. Really. I've, been, I've met some really interesting people and I've learned a lot over the last few years. I wasn't asleep asleep, but I wasn't <clears throat> aware of everything as I am now. Um, which kind of makes me want to go back to a point. So obviously I read, I was reading your bio and stuff. I can't remember where, but you, you kind of got into medicine, into pharma in about 1980, wasn't it? Because I've got a long time ago. Was it yeah. still, was it still like, <clears throat> I don't like to ask this because this is always cliche, but at what point during your journey in pharma, did you realize stuff weren't as, as it's supposed to uh, be, things weren't quite right? Was it, was it when COVID broke or was it before then that you saw things that weren't quite right? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> farm in the early eighties, farmers started to outsource 
all its physical activities. Um, you know, the big pharma now isn't big. It's in relative number of people it employs. It's um, it's really small. Um, and when I joined Bayer, we used to make cell injectables, but we made Alka-Seltzer as well for Europe. So, and um, we used to bring the raw, the aspirin, the, the and um, uh, the raw material citric acid in the back door into the loading bay, and then it would be fully completed all the way through into well, it started off it was in bottles. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember that. But all the way through to compressing the tablets, uh, putting them into foil, into cartons, into shipping outers. And we used to ship those to the local, you know, around the UK. We'd use couriers and we'd go to, you know, Boots and all. It was all fully integrated. And, you know, we, because we had the critical mass to do it, we were part of a very big co company. For reasons I, I've written a few sort of easy to read books like Find It, File It, Flog It, which is about the how the industry now finds um, a molecule, patents it, and flogs it. But the bit in the middle where you develop it and manufacture it, other people do. So, you know, they've got no skin in the game. So I, I've I've tried to help people understand how bad it is by writing easy to, 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 to read books. Mm. But so... From about the early 1980s, uh, and I, I explained what the, there was an event where two where two um, anti-ulcer drugs were competing, and the successful one with the patent, people thought that sales and sales and marketing was the way to go. So you have a patent, and then you use your marketing muscle to detail doctors and convince them or brainwash them to think that you know, your product is better than anyone else's. And we are at a stage now where the industry is basically all about sales and marketing. So yeah. uh, and so they outsourced. They thought, okay, we want, we, we've we got a patent. We'll have discovery research. And we've got sales and marketing. The bit in the middle, we'll just let it go. We, we They sold off their manufacturing plants, their quality, their distribution, everything. Or the people went, the people were made redundant. But what happened, those people actually formed contract companies and they've grown like toxi over the years so they are bigger than big pharma in terms of people they they own and they're the ones who have the skills and the experience and the intellectual property to be able to manufacture drugs the biggest in the world is a company called lonza and we know they make the moderna mrna drug substance the active ingredients in switzerland now oh, wow. people don't realize that uh, and there's a lot of talk about so the military making stuff, and I think that's diversionary because actually this has all been about Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, using the pharmaceutical industry as the money-making machine to fund all their activities. You know, Pfizer made $100 billion like, like, like that, and th th there's more coming on stream. So they've just just turned the industry on its head and now they're just making products they don't care if it works all or not because they've got you know they appear to have the power but you know like all systems if you understand how it works you can get inside it and you can stop it and mm. there's um 
there's a well-known um, U.S. philosopher, systems thinker, Russell Acoff, who says, um, "Don't fight, don't fight the system. Change the rules, and the system will change itself." Mm. And the rules at the moment is that you can patent a molecule when you haven't got any idea at all if it's going to kill any disease. So in the last 15 years, there have been 30 late-stage failures in Alzheimer's. You know, Pfizer, Novartis, all these companies, they've, they've left Alzheimer's now. And the theory is that something called amyloid beta or yeah. something else called tau wrap itself around the brain and causes Alzheimer's. They've been beating that one. As I say, that, they must have spent about $80 billion dollars on that theory, but yeah. the body is so complex. When you put a, an unknown substance into someone's body, you can't say, oh, I think that's when going to happen to it. You know, the spike protein is going to do this. And that, you've got to build up so much evidence that that is actually going to happen to a patient when they get it. So you've got to do a lot of predictive technology and a lot of hard work to, 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 to work that out. And mm. And I, I won't go into it here, but penicillin is a classic example. People think penicillin was discovered by, by accident, but actually Fleming discovered a mold that was killing bacteria August um, 1928, but he didn't know what was killing the bacteria. It took him 11 years to find Oxford University chemists where they could isolate the active ingredient, but they could only make small quantities of it, just gram quantities. But they did manage to test it in animals and in some humans, and it was working. So they flew over to the US, to the Department of Agriculture there, and they met a guy called Andrew Moyer, who was an expert in the manufacture of molds. So he devised a process where, you know, the little bugs with lactose and corn syrup, liquor or something, uh, and the yields increased exponentially. Uh, so they could make 10 quantities of penicillin, and then that was used in, in the process was given to Pfizer and Merck and a few other big farmers. But they were all big, fully integrated companies those days, not these little shriveled up uh, prunes that we've got today. Um, and so it was actually a very collaborative activity where all the stages had to be, had, had, had to be gone through. But you ask anyone about penicillin and they think oh, about drugs, they say, oh, this, you find them by accident. Someone goes in a, in a laboratory and they come out. Oh, hallelujah, I, I found a blockbuster. You know, that's a load of nonsense. Licking bread, licking moldy bread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you've been doing that, have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I remain lost for words and I'm dying for someone to put me up in front of a judge and, and say... You know, can you explain to me how bad this is? And I would go chapter and verse and explain to them, you know, they will understand it. And same with the people, you know, people in the NHS. We're not a virtual world. We're a physical world. When you go out to a, uh, to a call, look at all the things you've got to do. Look at all the things that can go wrong. You know, it, it, you know there's all those physical activities, and that's just vi visiting one patient. If then you're running clinical trials over 20 different countries with thousands of patients, just imagine the amount of physical work that goes into that that has to take time and needs to take time. So when they say, oh, you know, we've got all this virtuous stuff now and artificial intelligence, I noticed today that Elon Musk 
is saying, and others are saying, we've got to put a hold on this artificial intelligence and mm. machine learning because we don't understand it. We don't understand it. No, no. It's got Skynet written all over it from Terminator, hasn't it? 100%. <laughs> well, I haven't I have seen that, but uh, before my time. Oh, should. <laughs> it should, yeah. It's uh, scary how things are. Now, why do you think, uh, so this, I know it might, you might not be able to answer this, but, but with all this, uh, I don't want to say corruption because, but with all this, with everybody knowing, especially the pharma companies knowing what they get, what they're doing in that, how how are governments um, not more inquisitive? Is it because they got them on the payroll bribes, or or is it go hand in hand because the government obviously get kickbacks and everything as well? Well, the thing that I've 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 wondered why would um, like the UK has been the centre of this? You know, MHRA was the first to approve the Pfizer vaccines, first in the world even though they haven't got the skills or people there to evaluate a medicine. So they couldn't have done that. They must have just been told. So we know that um, Matt Hancock, you know, got all the wheels oiled to get the vaccines in, ship them into the country, pay for them, all all outside of the normal system. And um, I've suddenly thought, I don't think the government really understands how dangerous these are. They've been seduced by... Gates and the pharma industry, because in 2013, as I said, gene therapy was, um, it was, still is very experimental, very early stage. Then this this grant got approved, Oxford Biomedica in Oxford, it created jobs, and suddenly they they based their whole uh, future on building life sciences. There've been numbers of reports into life sciences and. People like Sir John Bell, who, you know, he said, all these people, they haven't got a clue how to make vaccines or, or any sort of drug. And yet they're sort of advising the government. Um, but again, genetics isn't, isn't, the, uh, isn't the great white hope that people think it is. As I say, because people's genetic makeup is different. You know, some people, aspirin help them, others paracetamol, others neurofen. Um, I shouldn't, mm. shouldn't say the brand. But, but really, there's stratification of patients, and there's a concept called number needed to treat. Some of um, the viewers might know it, where um, even a good medicine, you need five people to take it for one person to benefit, and that's regarded as a good medicine. Um, yeah. And some on the markets are, have got a number needed to treat much, much higher than that. Um, so th this is... And the government is believing because they've been having, well, I've got minutes of meetings that um, this ministerial group has been having with the CEO of AstraZeneca, with, um, with other big pharma companies, with the Association of the British Pharmaceutical Industry, uh, the Bioindustry Association. I've, I've put them on Twitter and, have I got one there? I, I've been gobsmacked. Uh, sorry to use a technical term, but I've been <laughs> gobsmacked at the people that have been there. Um, George Freeman, the Minister for the Office for Life Sciences. Uh, well, as you say, you've got my Twitter hand. If anyone wants to see them, go on, on, on to Twitter. And I've got, and the funny thing is, the minutes are actually on the government website. It's just people don't know to, 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 to look there. But so what I'm saying is, 
this was, I think this has all been about UK becoming number one in the world for life sciences having left Europe, Brexit, to stride out into the world and say to the US, look, you know, we are top in life sciences and we don't need those Europeans because look how good we are. What they don't know is you cannot manufacture, absolutely cannot manufacture a safe gene therapy, mRNA or adenovirus vaccine. The only one we know on the market has got very severe side effects, which is Kimria, which launched August 2017 in the US. And I question then whether it should have been approved because, mm. uh, you know, I can send you the link again on the Novartis website, which shows the, the side effects with it. And the thing is, it takes two to six weeks because for that product, they take through a process of apheresis, they take the T cells out of a patient, they are cryogenically frozen down to 196 degrees C, they sent off to a plant, a manufacturing plant, maybe three, four, five hundred miles away. It takes two to six weeks for them then to be genetically modified and tested and all that. By the time they get back to the hospital, very often the patient has passed away because they were in the late stages of, of, of disease. Mm -hmm. And the ones that hadn't passed away, these side effects are likely to finish them off. Honestly, it's, uh, uh, it, and it's, this isn't, you know, people know about this. It's just um, the industry, I don't know how it's managed to keep all this so quiet for so long. I know so many people who I'm thinking, you know what you're doing here. You know what's going on and you still do it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you there. <clears throat> it's the same with the NHS. You know, you've got people all the way up and down the chain. Um, and it was just what, what I couldn't get my head around was the, the the complete shutdown of discussion. You know, you weren't even allowed to question it, you know, and it was that that for me being a clinician, you know, you got to critically think and weigh up stuff and you follow guidance, but not by the letter, you know, because it is guidance and then not every situation is the same. And you've got to use your own due diligence and all that kind of stuff and experience. But no one was just, you know, you'd say like, you know, it could be this, you know, it could be that. Oh, no, it's not that. OK, what is it? Well, we don't know. No. Well, to be as, as certain as what it is, isn't, you need to be certain as, as, as to, you know, you can't just say it's not nothing to do with the vaccine. It's nothing to do with this, but then still have no clue what it could be. Um, I just, it was just the complete shutdown of debate and I, I couldn't get my head, the censoring of the doctors, how hard it's been for, for people to just raise these concerns and the censoring that everyone's expo been exposed to the, 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 the gaslighting, the, the doctors that I know that have lost, can't get work for just doing what they, you know, swore to do, which was protect the public and everything. I just can't, I don't understand why the, the government are now hunkering down. Is it a liability type of thing? Has Pfizer thrown them under the bus by going, yeah, yeah, Gov, it was, it was all sorted. We've done it. It's great. And they've gone, okay, brilliant. Rolled it out. And then it turns out that it's not. And now they're going, well, you told us it was all right. And Pfizer went, yeah, but sorry. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> As I say, um, the, 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 in the UK, there's something called the Cell and Gene Therapy, Therapy Catapult. And they were involved in 2013. Their role is to build gene therapies in the UK. They're part of Innovate UK, which is part of the research budget for the whole of the U UK. Now, they have to grow gene therapies and cell therapies, but most of it is gene therapies in the UK. The chair is a gentleman named Ian McCubbin. He was on the vaccine task force 
and he was instrumental in approving and sourcing the Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna vaccines. I, I met him in 2012 at GSK House. Um, I, I'm not making any judgment on, on, on anything. I'm just saying it's a fact that he is now chair of the Cell and Gene Therapy Catapult and they have a big manufacturing site in Stevenage. Uh, they will be working with Moderna, building a Moderna, uh, a site for Moderna in the UK. The the vaccine center, the the the, the vaccines uh, uh, innovative manufacturing center, which was built by the UK government, was sold to a company called Catlin Pharma Solutions, which is the second biggest contract manufacturer in the world uh, for the fire sale. So I think that plant cost about 200 million pounds and after three years they sold it because it, it wasn't going anywhere and they, they just don't know what what they're doing and the people who should know are just marching to the tune of uh, of 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 the government yeah and that, that that's some of the smartest people i know have turned out to be you know complete narcissists or just unable to accept anyone else's I don't know man I've, I've learned a lot about myself and other people you know I've fallen out of friends I've, I've known for, for for years because you know I just you, I don't know I, <laughs> I try not to be disappointed in people but it's been really difficult uh, you know I am I, there are lots of lovely people out there that are doing great things and everything else but I think as you and I could probably relate to this in an industry where people are literally just walking with the blinkers on looking at the floor um I, I did used to think many times a day, how do you sleep at night? Like, you know, how do you just, you know, without even questioning anything at all? But I think fear is a big part of it. And, you know, everybody lives to the breadline, so they can't afford trying to get people to come on the podcast. The first thing people say is, I don't want to lose my job. It's like, wow. You know, and that fear. that So, so people are now already self-censoring. They don't want to come on, you know? And it's like, you're telling the truth. You're just telling what you saw. You're not lying. I'm not going to, like, like, you know, uh, build a bigger up to be more than what it is. People want to hear the, the stories of what went on because people are trying to figure out how this has happened, if how, how this has, you know, been allowed to to happen. But if you've got people like in your industry, in my industry, that aren't questioning stuff and just purely based on ego and crystallized knowledge that they, you know, shouldn't be challenged. Yeah, well, if, if, if you look at some of these minutes the people who've been in these meetings working on basically on bio biopharmaceuticals which is the vaccines you know the head of the nhs the head of uh, all these I, I don't know if i if i called one up no i don't think i've got one uh, but as i say i i've been i'm going to put more on twitter as well because there's about eight sets of minutes and it documents from the coalition government started this, so they've got Vince Cable on there, you've got um, uh, the politicians who were in place then. Then you've got, then the, the CEO of AstraZeneca steps in in the next meeting, and he's co-chair, the next meeting he's chair, and all of a sudden you've got the pharma industry running the meeting, and the um, forbid, look, AstraZeneca's got a vaccine on, and MHRA have approved the new facility at Oxford Biomedica, not just a breakneck speed, but they've uh, they've approved it at the speed of light. Um, 
So, yeah. and again, they couldn't have inspected any of it because they were only, I know from the symposium I went to that they were only um, holding virtual inspections. So effectively, and they had junior inspectors doing, you know, they were sat at the desk and they'd ask the company, the facility making some of the drugs, they'd say, oh, send us the paper, send us your SOP, send us your formula, whatever, and they'd look at that. Okay, well, you know, put your hat on, go somewhere and show us that. Mm-hmm. So this whole, this whole lens thing, and they were all really, you know, ha- happy with that. And apparently crime is going to be a big thing now. They're going to be uh, uh, crime surveillance. They, they've got something called Medicrime. Uh, you, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't make it up, honestly. But, um, but it is, it's stressful, man. Uh, you know, it, when you've, it's just like, you, you've gone to bed and you've woken up and you're in a different country, a different, you know, and what you knew was sort of you could, you could depend on in life. Suddenly it's gone, and even when you go outside, you think, you know, I don't know if someone's not going to, you know, uh, punch me or, or you know, not, not be, but. The whole atmosphere in the world, in in the UK is caustic, you know, and people don't trust each other anymore. No, and I, I don't understand because we, we, we're so um, reserved as a nation with regards to this sort of thing. And uh, this is why America, uh, in, in, in certain aspects, you know, they're talking about it. You know, there, there, are, there are cases, the Brooke Jackson, you know, the Pfizer case and everything else. And, and um, I say it's spoken about Ron Paul. It's discussed a lot more in the states um, than it is in England. I mean, we can't even discuss it on on mainstream media. I mean, to be fair, I think I saw a video today from Julia Hutt um, from Talk Radio. She's discussing it, but then I, I remember speaking to her ages last year, the year before, and about that sort of thing and the mandates and stuff. And she wasn't fully on board. Um, so everyone's backtracking and expecting us just to forgive and forget, which I do agree with to an extent, but. You know, some stuff that was said, people shouldn't be given treatment because they're not vaccinated. It was that, that was clear discrimination and, and stuff that we shouldn't just say to someone. Yeah, well, yeah, OK, you didn't know all the information, but you still didn't need to say those things because that, that was just blatant. You know, there's no going back for that. that. That's you've shown your teeth. You've bared, you know, you've said that's what I would be like if I had this much more power. Or, or this much more Absolutely. kind of like, you know, so I, I, we, we, we've I think, like you say, people don't trust people people now because it's like hang on a minute you were my mate but then you turned on me when I didn't want to do something that you thought I should so you know and, and I think everybody yeah you're right there's a lot of um but then again I, I've said this a hundred times on my podcast now is we can't get through this until we start admitting there's a problem um you know and, and, and that's what me and you are trying to do isn't it and obviously I've had vaccine injured and bereaved on here as well who are trying to do the same thing we, we're getting there slowly but it's um I think it scares yeah. people doesn't it with how deep it goes yeah, you know, I think Twitter's going to make the difference. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it's this. I remember the, the early days when I was called, someone called Mike Eden a scoundrel and uh, some, something else. And so, someone who I, you know, was quite a high profile Welsh person. And I thought, oh, why are you saying that you don't know the first thing about it? You don't know him or anything. Mm. Uh, but Twitter's totally different now. Uh, if anyone's not on Twitter and if they want to, but I have to tell my wife it's all happening now, and she says, "Well, I'm not good on Twitter, so I don't know." But but yeah. she's she's awake, I'm awake, and uh, I, you know, the U.S. on Twitter, I think, are going to make the difference. You've got Ron Johnson in the U.S., 
you've got DeSantis uh, in Florida, obviously Rand Paul. Um, in Australia, there's some politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I just sent some stuff to one uh, who follows me on, on, on Twitter today. And it, it's going to take politicians to sort this out, to, to, to work out that it's patent law that's creating this greedy behavior. Yeah. You know, they're getting patents when they, for, for, because they can afford them. You know, you pay 60,000 quid for the patent, they might patent 2,000 different compounds and the hope that one of them is going to get to market. But, you know, we've got to make them do the work, do the hard yards that they did with penicillin to prove they could make the drug first because most of the uh, most of the drug development is complete failure i mean yeah you two things firstly why do you think they're so keen for gene therapy what do they want with our genes do you think they want to change us from a from a kind of like you know they can't make they they've they've moved to from the the more orthodox conditions like heart conditions cancer there's no drugs coming to market because they've done all this outsourcing. They can't, there's nothing coming to market. They've been trying rare diseases, awful indications, very small populations where the, the patients are desperate. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's failed. This is last chance saloon for the industry. And gene therapy sounds sexy, doesn't it? You know, gene <laughs> therapy, of course, you know. And yeah. they advertise the fact that, you know, so-and-so was born with this and suddenly... Gosh, they you know they jump in over fences and but no one looks behind the the, the, the video that they've 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 recorded to see what are the, what are the actual facts behind that yeah. and you know there's we just got to stop instead of we stop artificial intelligence we got to stop all the gene therapies until we know exactly what can be achieved safely and and what can't be achieved. But do you think we're we're there are being there's uh, certain drugs or certain interventions, procedures that are being suppressed. You know. Well, I obviously ivermectin, and I worked with yeah. the test Orion ivermectin, yeah. and I realised then the MHRA would never going to allow it. Hydrochloroquine. Yeah. You know, Peter McCulloch. Uh, Peter McCulloch works with the Truth for Health Foundation that I'm working with, and the Mississippi team, and yeah. uh, he couldn't shout any louder, but still. Yeah. You know. Eminent yeah. cardiologist. I've been, you know, I'm, I'm Pierre Corey again in, in the yeah. US. Yeah. Um, but it's, this is only going one way. You know, the snowball's going down the hill. It's not going to get any smaller, is it? It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, yeah, and I think that's what it is. I think they're, they're, they're there at the point now because you had MP Andrew Bridging come come forward and start speaking. I had him on the show, lovely gentleman. Um, but um, part of me was like, why now? Because all the stuff that you're saying, no disrespect to the gentleman, he's doing a great thing and I think he's very brave, but nothing he said in that first statement, none of us didn't know for previous two years. You know, it was, so a part of me is like, you know, it's great that he did it, but we've all been sitting on it for that long. And, you know, we've we've not, you know, I just, <laughs> I think it's like when you're watching a movie in slow motion or you've watched the film before and you're sitting there and watching it with your family and you're trying to act surprised, but you know what's going to happen um but then even seeing him trying to with the debate uh i think it was last week where everybody left you know and, and all that so it's like people don't want to hear it so there can't be debate well it's got to resonate with people in the physical world 
mm. you know, everyone, as you say, everyone knows you've got all these side effects. They, they can ignore it because, you know, but if you explain to the people, the populace, you know, the, the mass majority of people in the UK, look, these are products and they're defective. These companies have been selling defective products to millions of people. So in Mississippi, the, you know, the, 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 the case is based on breaching product liability regulations because that's incontrovertible. You know, you can look at how they manufactured it. You can, you've only, an FDA have been into two of the manufacturers and they've had horrific inspections. One with Rentschler, who do the Pfizer um, drug substance, and one with Catlin Pharma Solution in, in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. um, they should have been shut down straight away. So it just seems it just seems like it's a free for all. I mean, you know, and even if we wanted to do something about it, we speak about it, we tell people. But what can realistically, what can people do to stop this from happening? Yeah, I, I think people have got to just work to, work together. Um, you know, collaborate and just. Keep in turn in the, you know, I've turned up a lot of facts here. I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have known some of the things. But, that, you know, you go onto the UK Gov's uh, uh, MSRA website, some of the other websites, the Horizon Scan, and all those things they do, and you suddenly begin to realise they're part of company with reality now. What what, what, what what, do you mean they're going to do this in, in the hospital and the pharmacist is going, you know, so... Any final words then before we bounce then, Headley? Where can people find you? Any pieces of advice, pearls of wisdom you want to give everybody before we go? Well, I think I'd like to say my Substack Inside Pharma, I've got 4,500 subscribers, but only 95 paid subscribers. So as a lot of it is free, but that's what, because I'm unemployable now um, in the industry, so... No, no one's going to ask me to, to consult for them. Um, it's called Inside Pharma if you Google it. And all the evidence that I've been talking about is in there. The frozen vaccines, all the all the things that shouldn't have happened that have happened, what the, what the MHRA is doing, what the government is, is doing. And, uh, and it's $5 a month. So... Um, I'm doing this really so I I, I can keep sp uh, spreading the evidence so that eventually enough people will know. Um, I've also written Taming the Big Pharma Monster by Speaking Truth to Power, which um, is starting to sell a bit now. I wrote, I, I self-published that through Amazon uh, 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 KDP. I, I won't recommend my Wiley book because that's, that's about 90 quid now. So... Um, oh, I wow. couldn't afford to buy that myself. <laughs> um, but I read a lot of articles on, on, on the whole thing. And, and, and what I, I keep saying this all the time, just keep thinking, these medicines that are turning up in the pharmacy, where they come from, their physical things, and you know, when someone says, we did this with a bit of code and then we made them these vaccines in 100 days, you know, just keep questioning and... Um, uh, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, the more people I, I can get help, so they be what I'm sharing, the more I can keep on, on doing it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's it. I'm really glad. Thanks, Matt, for, for ha having me on because I, you've got a pleasure. real strong audience here and I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you and everything that you guys are doing as well. We're on the same team. 
but yes, it's never been so difficult to get everyone together in the same room. Everybody, too many egos, Headley. That's the problem, unfortunately. Yeah. It's too many egos. And um, unfortunately, doctors well, have massive egos. <laughs> it, it really doesn't work. Not all minds, not all, not all. Okay. But, you know, yeah. it, it's difficult. It's just like park your ego at the door. Let's try and figure this problem out. But okay, I'll let you bounce anyway because it's tea time and I'm hungry. Uh, and I've taken too much of your time already. So thank you for your time. Please stay in touch. I know we've got each other's number now, so that'd be great. If oh, yeah. You share and drop, drop me a note on, on Twitter or anything. You know, I've got tons of stuff to share. So if you want uh, anything, uh, really appreciate what you're doing. So, yeah, you take care. You. No worries. I'll, I'll put the uh, sub stack in the show notes for everybody as well. So, okay, everybody, thank you for your time. Thanks for watching. Yeah. Thanks again to Headley. See you all guys soon. Be safe. Strength and courage. Yeah, you, take, you take care, man. Cheers. <laughs> and he's gone. So another guest that hasn't stayed behind. But um, but yeah, that was all right, wasn't it? That was not too bad. But this is a little extra bit that I wanted to uh, just kind of tie into the end of um, of this podcast today anyway. Um, everything's going to be all right. I know at the moment everyone's thinking, you know, some people are, some people aren't. But everything's going to be all right. I know the banks are crashing despite what people are saying. You know, there is stuff going on that's there to see. Um, I'd recommend you buy things that you might need to, um, you know, if there are anything coming through that's where stuff's going to be difficult to get hold of, you know, it might be worth getting a few extra bits and pieces. Um, and think about things you could use potentially to trade if the paper money that you have isn't worth anything. Go and look what happened to Venezuela and um, I think it was Sierra or Zimbabwe as well when their, their currency collapsed. You know, things literally the next day were twice the price as the day before. So, uh, so yeah, but it's it's all it all has to happen. It's a rite of passage. Um, we cannot grow as a, um, as a species, if you will, if you're not put in difficult situations. If you're always taking the path of least resistance, you're never going to grow. You need to be put in, dis in discomfort. You need to have, um, you need to have stress, and you need to deal with it, and you need to come out of it the other side stronger, uh, having learned. Um, if you don't do that, you're never going to grow as a person, um, and then fear is always going to kind of grip you and stop you from doing things that you you really should be doing. I'm not trying to get preachy here because I'm, you know, people who know me will probably be able to list a massive long list of stuff that I don't handle the best of ways but i'm trying i'm grateful every day grateful for you guys can't believe i've got ten thousand downloads that's amazing i never really thought anything like that would happen especially after youtube been my channel as well so i um i've got a lot to thank you guys for i really do appreciate you all i love you all so much as well and you guys are the reason i do this because every day i I'm, the minute i'm working two jobs um and doing this as well at the same time so there's plenty of times when i'm just so tired um but then i'd start to do it um and i see the feedback and responses from all you guys so i really do appreciate everything but it will be fine everything's going to be everything is going to be all right it's going to get a lot worse sorry um but you know think about trying to untangle a really big you know knot to try and get us to the part where we've got just a straight piece of rope that's kind of what we're doing and we have to untangle the mess that they've got in before we can even progress and go forward so once everybody's angry enough and we can start doing something about it and i don't you know it's, you know suggest that we start protesting like what's going on in france but you know we're very british so it take takes some uh takes some time but there you know just be prepared try not to have your head so much buried in the sand reach out say hello follow me on twitter follow me on instagram um and just 
you know, we, we've got to stick together, guys. You know, we don't want this us and them scenario either when people start trying to wake up and, and asking questions. We've got to be there for them um, because they made decisions based on fear and not reason. And that's very different. So we've got to try and be the bigger people, um, which I know we can be. Um, we don't really want our told you so's, apart from Piers Morgan. Um, <laughs> joking, joking. But uh, but you know what I mean. It's it's we've got to try and be the bigger people to to um, forgive everybody. Um, uh, otherwise, we're never going to be able to move forward and make sure this doesn't happen again. Because ninety percent of people, once they're told the truth, or can really sit down and see it, you know, they'll be all right. There'll be a few that won't because that's just the way it is. But you know, you can't save everybody. But they'll come along with the majority anyway. So you know, it'll be all good. It'll be all good. Um, but yeah, ideas for guests would be good. You know, uh, there's loads of people doing cool stuff at the minute. So I'm trying to get some interesting people in, which has been nice. Uh, and again, healthcare professionals or anybody, you know, in that kind of field that wants to come on and say hello, please do so. Cause, um, it's just me, um, and stuff. So, but I've got a lot of other guests in the pipeline, but they're all busy too. So, but Hey, you know, I've enjoyed this little chin wag. Um, I just wanted to do a little personal note cause I feel like I haven't done anything, um, in ages anyway um with regards to housekeeping um studio still the same nothing big is on the horizon um because it just seems to be working what we're doing no frills sitting here having a chat so you know soon i will be on russell brands or joe rogan's show <laughs> um yeah but yeah so everybody listen i'm gonna peace out leave you to it thank you so much for uh, for supporting me and um be strong and um be brave and we're going to be fine. All right. Peace out, everybody. Be good.